Welcome to another episode of One Big Idea. This is season one, episode three. I am joined by the one, the only Music Ben contributor for Billboard, founder of Ziggy Ziggy Music, all around music, NFT, absolute mastermind. So I'm very excited, like Giga Chad conversation we're about to have. Uh, Ben, you're someone who I've wanted to have on the show for a long time. I've loved looking at your research. For those that don't know, why don't you give a little bit of background about who you are, like who is Music Ben, uh, and yeah, what do you what do you do? Yeah, I mean that was an amazing introduction. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'll give you the like the shorter version, and I guess we can go into like different bits, whatever you think. Um, so I'm a producer and artist, like originally back in the day came up in the sort of SoundCloud era and the like blog era of music and which was like the golden era for me. Um, I got lucky enough to like work with major labels. We signed, signed to Sony in the UK and did deals in Germany. Uh, licensed some of our music to like Ultra in the US, which is the big dance label. Um, so yeah, just had an, an incredible few years doing that. Uh, and then uh, on the flip side, got dropped by a major label. So kind of saw the whole... Uh, artist journey from like independent scrappy independent artists like trying to make it uh doing the whole major label thing experiencing that and then also the unraveling of it and um like kind of the fallout of the other side of that um and then i guess like fast forward uh the last four years i've pretty much been like a uh, full-time crypto um mostly on the writing side so i've written like research reports for investment companies. I've done like ghostwriting, uh, like I've ghostwritten a couple of Bitcoin books. So if you've, if you've read a Bitcoin book on like Amazon, there's a chance that I wrote it. Um, and then the last like year, 18 months, I've just fully been in Web3 music. I just kind of basically dropped everything that I could afford to drop and just focused all of my time on music NFTs and trying to like find a place in this world and try and uh, like add value. Um, I've been a pretty heavy collector, like not one of the major whales, but I've kind of think I've supported something like 100, 150 artists on something like 200 music NFTs now. And yeah, also uh, obviously contributor for Billboard. So we've, for Billboard, we've covered like, we did Daniel Allen's first big interview. We did like, um, David Greenstein's first big interview for sound. Um, we started developing uh, like the first music NFT chart system, although it's not like, not like official billboard chart because that just involves so many other stuff, but just like uh, a monthly breakdown of the, the biggest music NFTs and start, start thinking about um, like how we might track that. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll pause it there. And that's like the, the, the fast eight year overview, but and you can go deeper. Yeah. And we're going to, perfect. We're going to break down each of those piece by piece. Oh. So you kind of gave the skeletal outline of the interview. <laughs> yeah. Now we yeah, can yeah. go into, go into each piece. So let's start at the beginning. Would love to hear about your major label journey as a producer. How'd you initially get involved as a producer? How'd you sign your first deal? And then walk us through how it fell apart. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, I guess it all starts with like, um, just being an independent artist, being an independent producer, uh, in those like SoundCloud days, we were just like, I was just putting tracks out on SoundCloud, just putting mixes out, 
then singers would just like send back acapellas. They would put top lines on it. We would put that back out. You would remix just everyone's track. And it was just this amazing um, experience and culture where everyone was just like being supportive, creating, reposting each other's tracks on SoundCloud. You would try and get on the right blogs. Um, and kind of back then, I think it's really different to how it is now, but there was it felt like there was a fairly obvious path that you could kind of take to try and break an artist. Um, like nowadays, uh, everyone that I speak to is just like, there's so much noise um, of like playlists on Spotify and there's like 660,000 tracks a day uploaded to Spotify. But like back in the SoundCloud days, it, it, it felt like there was a straightforward path that you could like, you could be on SoundCloud, you could get covered by the right blogs, you could get on Hype Machine and you then you'd that, then you'd get the interest from record labels. Um, so yeah, it just got to a point where we were putting, we were putting out so much stuff um we were getting covered by the right blogs we were like pursuing that um we ended up just having um yeah a load of record labels a load of um managers publishers interested um and basically what we we were in a small town up in um the north of england and we had just this one gig where basically the whole of the music industry in london came up to watch us play um and we were thinking like this is like this is the perfect moment this is going to be amazing and we had like potential potential offers. Uh, and then the next morning, it turns out that like, we were really, really bad. Like we were just shockingly bad live. Like, we, <laughs> we knew how to produce music. We knew how to make music, but we were so bad live. So we went from this like big high of thinking everyone was going to sign us to then the next day, like nobody wanted to sign us anymore. Um, but yeah, eventually like we, we spent another year working on our, on our stuff. We like went out on the road uh, and eventually did a, did a deal with Sony. Um, but yeah, how it worked was they signed us for, um, two singles, uh, with the option to do an album. So we did the first two singles, which we thought went quite well. Um, they were like getting plays on radio. Um, so then when it came to do the album, we were like, is it, can we go into the studio? Can we do the album? Um, and they were just like, Hmm, we're not really sure. Um, and they just kept sitting on the album, like the album deal for ages and ages. And I think like most people in the music industry or will know that, you know, momentum and consistency are just like the most important things that you can have. Um, and we just lost all of that. And then they just sat on the deal for so long. And the, the problem is when you're in that situation that you can't take, they, they technically own the rights to the album option. We couldn't take it to another record label. We couldn't release it ourselves. So you just kind of get stuck in this complete limbo where you suddenly realize that you, you don't actually own any of your music anymore. That's a really big point that I want to make sure people understand because you were in purgatory. It's not like it allowed you like, okay, the label isn't interested. Cool. Fine. Like I'll just go somewhere else. I'll shop my music wherever I'll release it independently. You were contractually obligated to wait out their decision. And so when an artist or band gets shelved, it can literally mean that they lose all creative control. And that, that's a really, that's a concept I think a lot of people don't understand. If you're like hot when you sign your deal and then the label for whatever reason wants to move in a different direction, different priorities, different sound, you're stuck. So yeah, yeah please continue. Yeah. And that, that is exactly how it worked when we signed, we signed with the potential of doing the album, but then very quickly the, the music industry changed sort of during that period where they suddenly focused like completely on singles. So they were just like, we only want singles, but we're like, but we've got an album's worth of stuff here that we, that we want to release. Right. And they're like, we're not really interested in doing that anymore. 
Um, but yeah, and it's like you say, we couldn't we couldn't put it out ourselves. We couldn't take it to anywhere else, so we were just kind of stuck. Um, and that process then of trying to get that music back took like a year. Uh, by which yeah, time- wow. How did it? How did you finally get it back? Because if you're thinking about the incentives of the label, right? Like, there's no there's no prerogative. It's their prerogative if they want to ultimately like break break the contract and let you do do whatever. And maybe you can say you know they. They want to share some goodwill so that other artists want to work with them in the future, what have you. But they could also be like, well, we're sitting on this contract. Maybe we change our mind. Like we have this option, maybe five years down the line, we want to do it. So how did you convince them to finally like say, you know what, you go have your freedom back? I think what happened is the, the, I think the, the label actually just, I don't know if they ran out of money, but they, they had their own internal battles with, with Sony um and in the end it was just like give everybody their contracts back because i think they'd done it to a few artists and it was just like end all the deals like start fresh um so we, we kind of got it back that way um but by that point you know we'd moved on to other things and uh just you, you, like i said we lost that momentum and so it's really hard to get that back yeah the dark side of look like major labels can provide a lot of amazing opportunities if you're in that top like one or 0.001 percent like they really are this launch pad that can take you to global superstardom but i think this dark underbelly that exists is also really important to highlight like you are making trade-offs when you sign to a major label in terms of creative control now and we can chat a little bit about this maybe more later I think those deal terms and their leverage is also changing just with the evolving landscape and with artists having more opportunities to build a following and build more leverage and quite frankly, have a bit more financial literacy going into these discussions. Like they, they understand the repercussions a bit more. Um, but it's still like, you really have to think long and hard if, if this is the route that you want to go, cause it, it might be a one way door. Yeah, exactly. And it's something that I, I wish that we thought more about at the time. And I, it was just when you're in your like very early twenties and you just think you've got a record deal being offered right. to you, you just think that, that you think that that's the best thing to do. And then it's not until you all of a sudden don't have access to, to your music anymore that it hits home what you've actually signed over. And there's like, I put that on like ourselves. It wasn't like, and I don't blame, I don't have any resentment or like bitterness towards it. Like, like you say, major labels are amazing at what they do. If you need if you need global distribution, if you need like mass marketing, if you need radio campaigns, there's nobody nobody better. Right. Um, right. Yeah, I mean that's one of the reasons I'm excited about web3 is being able to just have a bit more leverage in those early days is is really important. Yeah, so let, let's talk about that. You so you get you get dropped by the the label you move into crypto. What's the, what's the gap between uh, no longer producing music on a major label and like finding your way into web three music and into, into crypto? Um, like mostly running out of money. So like we obviously, <laughs> like we, we ran out of the advance from the record label um, and the publishing deal. And actually the publishing one was the publishing side was even weirder because um a couple like a few years ago i i went back to our publisher because we we to see if we could use a track for something and it turns out that our entire catalog had been sold to this completely different company in canada so it's just like we didn't even know where our like where our songs were that's wild yeah that's like 
That's like when you, you know, when you buy a house and you get a mortgage and then like a week later you get a letter in the mail that's like, hey, you know, all the time that you spent with your lender. Yeah. They don't own your mortgage anymore. We yeah. sold it. We immediately put it in a pack. That was such like a light bulb moment for me. I'm like, oh, wow. I gave up complete like control here. Um, so not, not the best. Yeah, exactly. And so it's when you realize that one, you don't have control of your, your music anymore. And two, you don't even know who owns your music anymore. It's, right. um, I mean, obviously all of these things would be improved with like a transparent blockchain system, but, um, it's a long way from that. Yeah. Long, long, long way from that. Okay. So we're, we're moving into crypto land where you've been for four yes. years. What, yeah, so, what um, initially yeah, drew we, you there? Yeah. We, yeah, essentially ran out of money and like, I didn't want to go and get a, uh, like a real job, I guess is the, the way to put it. So I fell back on the thing that I love like as much as music. And that was just writing. Um, ended up doing freelance writing somehow fell into crypto. I remember writing a, like an, an article on like the Ethereum DAO hacks. So that must've been like 2016 ish. Um, but didn't go fully in, I think, 2018. Um, I started, I think I started as um, the editor at a, like a blockchain research kind of company, one of the very first to do like on-chain analysis of like Bitcoin stuff. And I, I remember starting the position like five or six days before there was that moment in 2018 when the market just fell from 6,000 to like 3,000. And like hit right. a complete, like complete, complete bottom of 2018. And I just started and I was really excited to have found crypto and I was really ex- like excited about it. And just the the sentiment was just horrific. And that uh, that lasted about six months and then that company ran out of money. So um, yeah, it's been just a, a process of just like, <laughs> just like- Taking your uh, licks. I mean, yeah, that is basically, a lot like, of- yeah, these these industries, music and crypto, share a lot of similarities in that like you yeah. got you take your licks learning learning the tools of the trade for sure. Yeah, you learn the hard way. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I just uh, since then just been like on and off freelance writing, working with uh, companies in the crypto space, like ghostwriting Bitcoin books, um, getting involved, and then obviously uh, watched NFTs explode and kind of followed that and, and got involved in that. Um, always wondering if there was like a music element that could be had there. And then uh, I remember coming across, I think it was Catalog, which is like the, well, obviously the, the one of one music um, platform. Um, and I discovered that sometime in like 2001. And I remember it was just the first time that I had an experience in music that felt so completely different to anything that, that we had, you know, we're so used to, like Spotify algorithms and playlists and like TikTok background music. And then all of a sudden you had catalog where like things were selling for like three, four ETH, which was like $20,000 at the time. And you're like, right. Like browsing through this, um, like, like a digital record store or something and just discovering amazing music. And I was like, I haven't felt music like this for like, you know, five years or something. It's completely new experience for the first time ever. So, yeah, it was around that time when I was just like, I need to just drop everything that I can and be involved in in whatever this is going to be, because um, it feels like something kind of special is happening. What did you particularly gravitate towards? Because a lot of people may hear you say that and say, well, that 
that sounds like an experience that's way more work. Like I have all of the music in my pocket and you just told me that like, it's a record store. Like, haven't we moved, have we moved past records? So why, why did, why was that such a special moment for you? I think because and I, I think I'm, I think they're, they're the vast majority of people like maybe not interested in, in music in that way. But for me, as somebody that had like, I love record stores. I've collected vinyl my whole life. I've got like limited edition posters like behind me right now, like collecting and discovering music in that way has always been such a deep part of it. And that has just been completely lost um, through sort of passive background listening to music. The, there's no real sense of like actually going out and f- discovering that feeling of discovering music that you've like put in work to find. I don't know, like you've, you've found something new in a record store or you've like hunted through blogs that you like to find a, to find a track that's kind of been lost and that's what catalog brought back for me. And, um, and then obviously I think sound XYZ built on that even more and, um, kind of went from there. Yeah. There's an emotional resonance that happens when you lean in and build context. There was something I was talking about with David a couple of weeks ago, this idea of context coming back to the forefront with web three music, because it really does, force you to sit with each track and learn about everything ar- around the release, what the artist story was, wh- what like for you to actively participate in that journey instead of just something that you put on passively while you're going on a run or going about your day. Uh, it it, it t- commands your attention. So what yeah. may seem like a lower fidelity, worse user experience to someone that just wants to passively take in music is is actually for us that, for those of us that are really passionate about music, is the exact opposite. Yeah, it's it's forcing you to to stop and like enjoy the drop and enjoy that there's something new is being released. Like like I said, like sixty thousand tracks are uploaded to Spotify every day. And like, it's not an event anymore. It's not an interesting thing. And then it just shows up in your algorithm. Like music has become so easy that it just comes to you. It's just like, it's in your TikTok videos. It's in your like uh, Spotify playlists. The idea of like, I mean, and David and Sound do this so well. And that was the second. So the, the first like big experience was discovering stuff on catalog. The second big experience was David and Sound doing their Twitter spaces, telling an artist's story and then having you know, that drop the the listening party where everyone listens to a song. And then at the end of the song, you can, you can mint it. And I was like, wow, that's such a, that's such an amazing experience that doesn't exist in music anymore. Like everyone is gathered around listening to this event, hearing, you know, about not just discovering a song, but hearing the artist tell their story just doesn't yeah. happen that much anymore. Um, so that, that was, was one of my moments as well. The Daniel Allen listening party was like a huge light bulb moment for me for overstimulative. Like, Oh, I get it. <laughs> like, um, and, and really it's, it's converting, I think in recent time for as I don't, I don't want to like bastardize streaming, right? Like I worked at a, at a streaming service for, for five years. Like I definitely see, and I, most of my music consumption is still streaming. So there, there's a lot of, a lot of value there, but one of the side effects that I think we've seen is music turn into like a consumable, like come in, like become a commodity. And, you know, that's, that's beyond a buzzword. Like if you think about what a commodity is, like it's something that you have like in your day-to-day life that like you don't really 
think about, you know, and, and really what we need to do is convert music back into what it really is, which is an art form in the same way that you look at a, at a piece of, of art, um, and you appreciate that and you fully take it in you know, music just because it's more ever present and readily available should still be respected as the art form that it is. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's, pr- it's priced for mass consumption as well. It's, um, right. you know, I, and I, th- I think, I kind of think that like music really music wants to be free in a way like music is, you know, even from radio music just came to it. Like it's, it's around us free all the time. And so the music industry is basically just trying to put these like very small price tags on it just to make you feel like it's being paid for like $10 a month for Spotify is basically free. Um, but what they're doing is pricing it for the mass, mass, mass consumption but that doesn't take into account like how emotionally you feel about a song that's changed your life or like a band that has been with you your whole life that, you know, has all these nostalgic feelings for you. It's impossible to price that at like a 0.003 cents a stream that Spotify does. Like to, to some people, that song is like the biggest work of art and deserves a much, and, and they're worth, they're willing to pay more. Um, so I think this is experiment that we're doing with NFTs where, it's there is almost a free market for music um and i think that like maybe has some bad connotations and may lead to some negative things but the the ability to have a free market where people can choose how much to value a song or how much that song means to them um is a completely like naught to one invention that we've never had before um we just have never had a free market for music it's been completely dictated the prices of you know, the prices of CDs, the prices of vinyl, the prices of a Spotify subscription, the price of a, uh, a download, a single download on iTunes. All of these things have been, the prices have been decided by a big company um, with no artist involvement. Um, the fans have no say on how much they want to pay for it. Um, with very few exceptions, like the Radiohead example. Yeah, Radiohead or Nipsey Hussle, but I mean, those are exceptions that prove the rule. Like they're yeah. they're few and and far between. You're absolutely right. Like the the distribution format and the business entities behind them have always dictated the value of music. The market has never dictated the value of music. Fans have never had an opportunity to say, you know, outside of those examples we just mentioned, you know, this is this is how I value it in in my mind. I am curious using that as a jumping off point. Uh, Chris Dixon a while ago, for those that don't know, Chris Dixon's a general partner at Andreessen Horowitz, uh, is in their crypto fund, but also like deep into like gaming and music. And he had a comment, uh, a while ago on Bankless that he actually thinks music is going to go free, like the opposite direction of what we're seeing in music. He believes that a lot of IP, like licensing opportunities have actually been restrictive by the current environment of like streaming 999 all you can eat and in fact what should happen is it goes completely free and then you charge add-ons wearables merch whatever the case may be you let the consumer take it derive it do it remix it in the same way that like gaming has moved to this like free to play model in a lot in one of their verticals i'm curious if you share that belief do you think we're going to see more free music in the future what what are your thoughts um, I, I do agree with it. I think, um, 
like, I wish it wasn't the case. I wish that everyone valued music enough to say that I want to pay for it. But like, you know, the pirate, the era of like piracy, Napster, uh, LimeWire, all these things showed us that the vast majority of people will, will get music for free if they want it. Um, and I kind of think of it like trying to fight against that is almost a really difficult thing to do. And that's what the music industry has been doing. It's been trying to like put up these like small gates to stop this massive flow of free music that like, I think people want music to be free, whether that's right or not. And music has trended to being as low price as possible, just so you can get these micro payments from it. I think maybe you unlock more value if you just accept that maybe it's free for the vast majority of people that won't pay for it. But this may be a small majority, a small minority will pay a lot more and that will balance it out. And so maybe if you're an artist, 90% of your fan base just listens to you for free on Spotify, streams it um, without paying. Maybe 10% of those people or maybe 9% of those people pay a lot more for wearables or like things like digital merchandise that's attached to your brand that makes them like feel connected to you. And then maybe 1% or even less buys like a very expensive one of one or buys a very expensive edition of 25 of your NFTs. So I think that's kind of what a free market of music creates is that the vast majority will pay nothing, but the, the high end, a very small minority of your super fans that really want to support you or the way your music has meant a lot to them will pay a lot more. And maybe that uh, balances it out or even gives the artist more money. It's like, and I don't think anyone can tell you if that's true or if that's right, but that's kind of, that's the experiment I feel like that we're working towards here. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I actually wrote a piece last summer around like CCO when that was a big topic of discussion. Moonbirds had just gone CCO. The nouns model had been working really well. And I, I wrote something to the effect that I think CCO for music could be really powerful. If you had certain releases within your campaign that you made open to the public. And for those that don't know, CCO or CC0 is Creative Commons Zero. It basically puts your work into the public domain. So no one needs a license in order to take it, to profit off of it, to uh, make derivatives of it, whatever they want to do. What that allows for is for ideas, for art to spread very quickly, right? There's no restrictions. And so they can do whatever they want with it. Obviously, there's there are downsides in terms of your ability to capture revenue, it, for you to maintain brand control, a lot of reasons that it doesn't make sense. But I think within an uh, entire strategy, going that route could increase your total surface area. Because let's face it, like I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it no one is making a career off of streaming alone, unless you're like in the top percent. Like you're making your career off of everything else, which again is why I think web three music is such a value add is it's not replacing an existing model as much as it's giving another vertical for revenue for artists that need it. Cause they're not, they're not, it's not like they're making the money on streaming anyway. So really like I agree with Chris in the sense of music consumption likely goes further and further towards free. And what we end up seeing is stratification of value at higher and higher tiers. So if you think about it, like a good analog, I recently went to the Formula One race in Austin. 
I have never seen a class system like that in my entire life. Like you go in, it's all, it's very similar to like the first time you go to like a VIP event in LA and you're like, oh, there's actually like 30 levels of VIP because like well, you, you basically like if you're willing to pay it, there is an offering for you. And yeah. if you just want to like go in and get the cheap experience, like you know, F1, watch it on TV, like the same type of deal. Like they'll find a, a revenue model that, that works for you. And I think music has so many tiers that aren't like monetized yet. And so on the high end, you know, web three has like a bunch of different ways to monetize and on the low end going free and exploring add-ons and things of that nature, going memetic with CCO, uh, I think just gives musicians more optionality, which, to, you know, what you were describing earlier in uh, a landscape that traditionally restricts creative freedom, restricts the ways that you can make revenue, I think is a, is a good thing. Yeah, exactly. I think, cause like you say, like streaming, streaming does pay if you're top 1%, top 0.5%. Yeah. And it does pay really well. The problem is there is then like a huge gulf and there's, so which leaves you without kind of a middle class of music you either are like you're making a ton of money or you're like not really making very much at all. So I think the thing that's interesting with NFTs is you can start to fill that gap of that tiered system um, and it can start as, as low as an independent artist just making um, like a little bit of money. And I, I've tweeted this a few times and I think we massively underestimate like how important like just getting a small amount of ETH into independent artists will be. Um, like it really doesn't have to be much to change the game. I think we, we often in like a crypto bubble where we're like one ETH is like nothing. And it's just like, you know, it's a, a spend that on a cartoon, like JPEG animal or something, but like one ETH for a independent musician, it can be the difference between like being able to afford to go on tour for the, like breaking even on tour this year or buys them another like month of rent. So they don't have to go to work so they can finish the album or, um, just like this, these small wins for independent artists using NFTs will like dramatically change, I think, the leverage that they have, their ability to reach new fans, uh, and their ability to negotiate better deals in the future. Um, so yeah, I think, I think introducing these newer levels where artists can make money at like a slightly lower, on a slightly lower end will be really powerful. I, I agree entirely. And it is, we do live in a bit of a bubble. You don't recognize like often you don't think that that small amount of money can make a massive difference for someone as well. And it, and it compounds as, as well. Uh, you know, we've talked a, a bit about the value prop for, for artists in terms of the revenue generation. What other key value points have you seen uh, in the Web3 as to why artists should want to get involved in the space? Um, I think, uh, this concept of like building a closer community seems to be, um, uh, like definitely the talking point. And I'm seeing that, I think I see that starting to work, um, being able to have like a direct relationship with your fans, um, through, um, like even, like even now, if you collect a music NFT, you get access to a telegram group, you can be involved like quite often in those telegram groups, you're the, you know, they're openly discussing release strategies or openly discussing um, like merch ideas. Like all of a sudden you're in a conversation with an artist that you might love 
about what merch they're going to release. Um, and that's never really, that's never been a thing before. And that can happen at a small scale on like with independent artists in telegram groups, it can happen on bigger scales, like chain smokers are doing it on, uh, through discord. They have like a really, really, um, strong community, um, within their discord, which is like thousands, but it's still really well managed and, um, their fans, uh, like feel a much closer connection to the artist than they we- before. Can we dive into the chain smokers? Because I, I I know that yeah. you've written about them in the past, and what's fascinated about me about their entry to Web three, I've been very skeptical of the do artists want to buy uh, effectively like a royalty. So for those that don't know, chain smokers launched these collectibles on Royal. Uh, it gives the holder access to like a percent of royalties it, it, with other perks as well. They are one of, outside of like, I'd say Snoop Dogg, one of the biggest artists that came into the space and have, have done it really well from everything that I've read from you. So could you kind of break down how they've entered the space and, and really provided value? Yeah. So yeah, like you say, they dropped on, they dropped on Royal, um, uh, but they did it completely free. So, but they dropped uh, their entire, their entire album as an NFT free to their closest like members of their member the members of their web two fan club got the first access to it so it was for the fans completely free not a cash grab um holders get like a very small percentage of streaming um streaming royalties in the in the album um which like you say um i think that's a really good value proposition i do, I do think that's a really i think that's going to be a really big use case um, especially for for big artists on Royal like Chainsmokers uh, and like the Diplo drop, they're actually bringing in like decent numbers. Uh, yeah. That's a that's a market that's that's that the regular people have never been able to invest in before. Um, so like hedge funds buy tons of music catalog, like big companies buy tons of music catalog because at those high levels it does actually make a lot of money. Um, so yeah, I do think unlocking that on Royal is, is, is really powerful. Um, but yeah, so the chain smokers, I think they did really well because a, it was a free, it was free. They're not trying to like extract anything from their fans, not trying to extract anything from the community. They gave them some streaming royalties. Um, and then since then they've basically just layered on top rewards on top of that. So I think they, they gave away free VIP, um, like backstage passes to certain fans, um, and then they recently did another airdrop on top of that. So they did, they dropped their album and then they dropped an airdrop of like the lo-fi version of their album. Um, so it's just consistently like adding value to their fan base, um, through NFTs and like, they're not promising anything. They're just, and you know, Chainsmokers cause it could easily put a pretty high price on an NFT or do some kind of cash grab or do anything and they've kind of chosen to do it completely free um which i I which i think is really cool so if i could repeat some of that back to you chain smoker seems to really have one here one because it's value accretive they did not look to extract at at all in sense that they released it for free they continue to add value to the nft through additional airdrops really surprise and delight set very low expectations and then just outperform those expectations time and again. I think what's so great about that strategy is one, like if you're the chain smokers, 
do you need to, are you trying to make like a couple, you know, hundred thousand dollars maybe from an NFT drop? Probably not. Like that's not really the goal. Like you have enough money. It's really much more about how are you building deeper fan, fan relationships, higher affinity, particularly in a space where there's so much noise now to have a direct line of sight to your fans and keep them as a fan and continue to reward them and have them be evangelist of everything that you do and tell all their friends and go buy your merch and go to your shows. Like it shows it's very tactful. Um, and I, I think a very measured approach that a lot of major artists that are coming into the space could learn from. And it's not about just making a quick buck. It's much more of a, what is the lifetime value of this relationship? And then also one of the things that, you know, a lot, a lot of things in, in web three are schemorphic right now. It's just like, let's slap an NFT label on it and we're going to do the same tactics. What I love about effectively this fan club is that you have a direct relationship with your fan in a way that you can continue to reward them over time. And you have that like direct relationship, that identifier uh, directly to the fan. And so I, I think we're going to see more fan clubs like this. I really like what Medallion is doing. I know that you know yeah. them very well um, and how they're kind of creating the safe like on-ramp into a Web3 fan club without a lot of fans even knowing it. So I think we're going to see more and more and they've had like a phenomenal uh, roster of artists like already joined them and I know they've got a bunch more coming on the way. So yeah, I, I think that's such a unique uh, example simply because usually it doesn't go that well. If you're a chain smokers, like usually you're not getting that good advice. So I did want to, I wanted to flag that because it, it is a big one. Yeah. I think it's, I, I, I think they get some like bad press sometimes, but they've been really smart with so many, so many things. Yeah. Like even going back to like the early blog days, they were like out there sending emails to all the blogs. Like they were, they were, they were really on it. And uh, they like obviously launched their, their fund, which was pretty like forward thinking. Um, and then, coming into the NFT space quite tastefully when, you know, a lot of their peers were just doing cash grabs or just dropping like something for several million. And for them to come and do it for free, I thought was pretty cool. They have a, like a community manager who's full-time who just is in the discord, like looking after the community, answering questions. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think that one and like the, the medallion setup, which is just a free NFT fan club is a really good way for established artists to come into the space. Um, I think we often talk about music NFTs, but actually it really differs on what the strategy should be depending on where you are as an artist. If you're a big established artist and you've got a big fan base that you can rally around this, then something like a fan club is a really good way to bring them into the top of that funnel and give them a free F NFT. Don't make it like too complicated. And then maybe they come down and they, you know, buy a, buy a music NFT or something later on. Whereas if you're a, an emerging artist, you don't necessarily have that big fan base that wants utility. They don't want VIP passes because you're not playing like a stadium. They don't need like crazy merch. They just want to be proved that they were there early and they want to support you. So I think that's one thing I would, um, I often say is it really depends. There is no like right way to start in, a, in, right. in music NFTs. It really depends on where you're at as an artist um, what your fan base is already like. Um, and we see that with, with so many different artists in the space now, like chain smokers are obviously at the very top, one of the biggest artists in the world. Their strategy is going to be completely different to, uh, like an independent musician that's just uploading their first track. Yep. 
A hundred percent. And I think you know, the next question I wanted to ask, and you kind of started diving into this is as a collector, which you are one yourself, what are the different reasons that you collect? They're, obviously, it's not uniform based on whether it's an independent artist or it's a chain smoker. There's different uh, incentives or utility that you may be going after. So what are, what are kind of your main reasons for collecting? Uh, yeah, I guess for me, um, I've always been obsessed with like independent music anyway. So I'm, I'm naturally drawn to like the emerging artists in the space, um, which is mostly happening on like sound and Zora and, and catalog and that era. So I'm, I'm always excited to like find artists at the very beginning of their career and, and like follow them along and, and sort of be part of that. Um, so, I mean, number one thing that I'm always looking for is like music, like 90% of the NFTs I collect is just because I heard the music and I just absolutely love it and want to be kind of part of that journey and don't necessarily think of it like as, as an investment. I like don't have any expectations on, on the artist. I just, I just heard the song and I love it. Um, then I would say like the next percentage is probably, um, kind of like historical or culturally relevant NFTs, um, music NFTs. So if it's, you know, like we just had the first open edition on sound, like I'm going to collect that because it's a big moment in the journey of, uh, of music NFTs. Anything in like sounds Genesis collection, like sounds uh, like the first 10 artists they uploaded. That's a big moment. Um, so I'm usually looking for something like that. And then, uh, the last part is probably looking for artists that I really do think will break out and being able to uh, collect a, a, an NFT there very early on, um, I think will be really powerful. Yeah, those are that aligns with how I'm collecting as well. It is, you know, I had talk time on my Sound Weekly show last week and my first experience with them was a glass music video that they had put together. And I wasn't in the market looking to buy any NFTs or anything like that, but I was so moved by the video. Like how it's, it's like this beautiful animation. It clearly had taken like so much time that it almost felt like I was just like kind of tipping because the, the price point was so low. It was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm paying for an experience that I just had. And that like, that never used to exist. You know, like you go on YouTube and you watch the video, you're like, oh, that was great. And like, maybe they get a little bit of ad revenue, but to want to go, like to have at least the ability and not everyone has to do it, but if if you want to do it, you want to support the arts, like that, that patronage, at least you have some more opportunities. And, and yeah, the, the other ones that you highlighted as well, taking a bet early historical releases, um, you know, having kind of that balance in your portfolio and just like people that you want to support, I think is all super important. And, and look like the use cases of these NFTs are going to continue to develop. Like at the end of the day, what it's giving you is like digital property rights. And so that's not to say that you have any rights over the song itself, but you have, you know, a digital ownership of this object. And that in turn leads to a relationship with the artist, which could manifest itself in a multitude of ways. So you start with, start with the expectations. Like for anyone that is interested in music NFTs, I always start with the expectation of like, I'm just collecting stuff to enjoy it. Some of it I speculate on. Um, and then you end up just opening this entire world up 
uh, that, that you may not have been expecting. So yeah, completely agree. I want to move forward a bit. So billboard is probably a name that a lot of people recognize. It's the preeminent, you know, music publication. How did you get connected to them originally? And what has your experience been explaining web three music to a, a pretty traditional music company? Yeah. Um, I'll start with that one. Actually, it's been amazing. They like, um, uh, so actually they, the editor, one of the editors, news director came to me. He saw me basically like writing threads and tweeting about web three music. Uh, so he just sent me a message and was like, we're trying to cover this space like as best we can. And, um, but we would really love somebody who, um, like understands what's going on here. Like, can pick out the authentic stories and like, um, and help us with coverage would be amazing. Um, and you know, as somebody who used to read billboard, like religiously, that was like, yes, I'm definitely going to come and help you with that. Um, so yeah, it was all really organic. They just, they, they, they are watching, they have been watching this space really closely. Like, and, and I give them so much credit, like so much mainstream media has, uh, written hit pieces on NFTs or just like talked about how it's a scam or it's a fad or, or like whatever, but they were like, we feel like something big is happening here and we don't quite know how to um, like cover it properly. Or, and, and like on top of that, there are so many press releases coming in from like tech companies that are like, we're changing the music industry. We're revolutionizing everything. We're putting all record deals on chain. We're like doing all this stuff. And it's like, uh, how do you filter what's actually good? And then, and also how do you tell the stories of what's real, like what's really happening here? Like, how do you tell the stories of like Rio Cragen and what's going on in, with um, uh, here? So yeah, that's where, it, that's where it really came from. And they were also really interested in this idea of um, potentially looking at how music NFTs could be charted, um, not for an official billboard chart, but like, the way that they calculate that is completely separately. Yeah. But the concept with like me and the editor was like, maybe we can do a monthly chart that at least begins to kind of figure out a methodology of, of how we might chart music NFTs. Um, and I don't think it's like perfect by any stretch, but what we ended up coming up with was we track um, primary sales um, every month and we combine it with uh, secondary um, volume to kind of get a big picture of like how much volume has a, a particular project or a particular artist done over that month and then kind of like pull the top the 10 together and we do that by tracking I think we have 17 or 18 platforms um, self-releases um, and it's like it's all completely manual there are months when I miss things um, and stuff but it, it's just just a way to begin tracking what's going on here and there are others that do it like really well obviously water and music do do an amazing job of tracking sales and analyzing data like better than i do but just as a way to present it to the the legacy music industry that felt like a really simple way to just be like here are the top 10 and it's it doesn't tell the full story but it's a way of it's a way of bringing it to the music industry in a way that they can already understand and digest yeah it I love the last sentence you just said there about like bringing it to the traditional music industry in a way that they can digest because ultimately I think for adoption to take place, we need more 
we need more label execs. We need more traditional artists. We need more people that live across all these different verticals to understand that this is a space that they should be paying attention to and is only growing. And the easiest way to do that is to put dollars and cents in front of them. Like, is it yeah. growing? Is it not growing? How many artists are, are minting? How many holders? Like, as soon as you can put revenue in front of them that that feels like it's moving in the right direction, you know, they'll they'll definitely perk up a little bit. So yeah. on, on that note, I'd love for you to explain, like evaluate the state of Web3 music today. Like if you could kind of summarize since you've gotten into the space, like what, you know, obviously we've had some like pretty big highs. There was the tagline, I think at the end of the year from Billboard that we had basically ended uh, in terms of volume, like 90% lower than the start of the year. So yeah. can you just kind of like set the the record straight? Where are we today? This is January, 2023. Uh, so I would, I would say that we're like, potentially in the healthiest place that music NFTs have been for, for a, a while. Um, like, although all of, although the volume, like in terms of USD volume is much lower, there are like record high number of collectors, record high number of active wallets, record high number of like mints going live, record high number of artists involved. Um, so it's gone from being like, even a year ago, the focus was mostly on one of ones, and very small additions um, that were priced at like the one of ones were priced at like two, three ETH. Um, and even additions were sort of like $300, $400 each, which really like, I which is cool in the sense of uh, you're valuing it as, as art, like high end art. Um, but it was very few artists involved, very few collectors, like wealthy collectors usually that had already been in crypto. And now, even though the, the numbers are low, we've got so many artists coming in making small amounts of ETH, which, like I said before, is like, that's, that's just the key goal. Like the more, the more artists that make a little bit of money here and buy themselves a little bit of leverage, buy themselves a bit of like creative freedom, um, that's where the wins are going to come from. And the more collectors that come in that like, they don't have to spend, you know, $1,000, $4,000 on a, a one-on-one but they've supported an artist for 0.01 ETH and, and now they're involved and now they're like, now they're engaged and now they're part of the story. Um, so yeah, I think, I think we're actually in a, a really healthy place. Um, I still don't think we know uh, uh, like what the right format is. And I love that everyone's still experimenting. Like obviously sound is now doing open editions and that's bringing in even more collectors and we'll see where that goes. Um, but nobody, nobody knows the answer. I don't know the answer. Uh, I don't know what this will look like in two months, let alone a year. Um, so that's kind of the exciting thing about it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And to repeat that back, at the start of Web3 Music, you had these like flashpoint sales that were for a ton of ETH when ETH was at, was at like $3,500, $4,000, uh, you know, that were making like huge, you know, huge headlines. And that is very restrictive in terms of who can participate. It's a whale game. Um, there are only a few artists in which that's going to make sense for. You had to get there early. And while it was great from a revenue perspective, it's just like clearly bubble tulip behavior like yeah. it's gonna it's gonna burst and what you've seen over time and and mind you like in the beginning it was like all one of ones 
And what you've seen over time is like more people be able to participate as we move to additions. And then even more people be able to participate as like the price has gone down over time. More artists are minting, more collectors are coming on board. And now, and we, you, you know, we've kind of alluded to it a couple of times. Sound literally, I think it was two days ago, announced open editions, which I think is a pretty uh, formative move for the space. I think it hopefully will will bring a lot more people in. Can you kind of, one, I'd love your take on it if you think it's good or bad from both like an artist perspective and a collector perspective, because you don't know what the supply is going to be when the when the open edition starts. Um, and then, yeah, what, what you see as the like net outcome for the space with open editions. Uh, yeah, I think overall, I really like the, I really like them. And if you, the only comparison we really have at the moment is like the crypto art market. And so open editions for artists like X copy and ferocious have been like, uh, really, really important in terms of growing the brand beyond, um, what they could have done with one of ones and very high, uh, very expensive editions. Um, so by having open editions, you can have, uh, so many more collectors and so many more fans involved in your story and your, in your community and in your world. Um, so from the artist's perspective at the right point in your career, I think open editions are absolutely amazing. I still think if you're as an artist, you probably want like some, uh, some level of scarcity further up, like further up the chain. So you, you want some one of ones, you want some like editions of 25 that, like the collectors that care about scarcity will will have those. And eventually, once your open editions have reached more people, you'll actually drive more value back to those one-on-ones, which is what we saw with like Xcopy. All of a sudden you have more, his open editions out there. Um, and all of a sudden those one-of-ones feel even more special if you know if you own one of those. So I think setting it up like that is is really good. I think some collectors might like might not like them as much because you know they're not scarce um they might not accrue value as much as they want but for them they can go back i think to the one of ones to the the scarce collection so overall i'm i'm pretty in favor of them yeah i am as well and it's funny after i can say this now that it's out uh after david and i had our our season premiere episode we chatted for like another hour and we went pretty deep on you know what what is the reaction going to be on on open editions? And you hit the nail on the head. I think if you're taking a long term approach, and this is for like NFTs in general, you know, we need more people to feel that they can participate in the ecosystem. Yeah. If we're effectively just like wash trading to each other and we're not growing the total pie and total amount of holders, then this thing burst. Like that, it just, that's it. You're effectively just selling to the greater fool at that point and the fools are going to run out. And so you do need low entry point ways for people to get in. And from a collector, or sorry, from an artist perspective, it's another tool in the toolkit. You don't have to use it and you shouldn't use it for every release. Like yeah. you should find the right balance between open edition to bring everyone in. It's, it's similar to like the free mint meta of just yeah. dropping, letting people get into the ecosystem, discover you, uh, and then moving, you know, moving them up the value chain. It, it harkens back to what we were saying earlier, right? This idea that Web3 unlocks like 
the stratified tiers of value and monetization. So you have your open edition at the bottom, you've got like your grail one of ones at the top and there's something for everyone in between. Exactly. And I, I feel like it's even more important for music because music way more than art is like a really collective thing. Like we experience music as like, we go to gigs with other people, we go to parties right uh, like or clubs music is meant to be experienced with a big community of people um i think only having one of ones that can be owned by one person feels a little bit like uh not in the spirit of music <laughs> music in a way and i think it, it obviously definitely works for certain collectors um but you need that sense of like people all coming together your fans being able to participate or else it won't work because it's just not how we enjoy music I agree completely. Predicting an end state is damn near impossible, right? Particularly like when we're we're in it, like we just, we don't know. It's already developed so much since when we both got into this. But I do wonder what you see as like, what does mainstream adoption look like to you? Because I think it's different in a lot of people's eyes. Like how do you see NFTs entering the mainstream as it relates to music? I think the best... The best argument for the best option for a, a mainstream kind of use case is like a kind of like a proof of fandom kind of token is the best way that I can kind of describe it in that um, you, if like, say, you know, for example, at the end of every year, Spotify gives you your, like your roundup for the year. And it might say you're the, you're in the 0.01% of listeners for a certain artist. Like you're like, you're Lady Gaga's biggest listener or top listener. You should get some kind of like fan badge or, or if you're the very, f- or if you're in the first thousand listens of, you know, a Billie Eilish song, you should get, you were here first kind of badges. Um, I feel like that would be the biggest way to mainstream adoption. I don't think everyone's going to be coming to, catalog and sound to buy music nfts at like 60 dollars each that's a that's a niche super fan uh music nerd kind of market um but i do think if you had like a little badge uh, a little like nft badge from spotify that says you're the biggest billy eilish fan this year that gets shared on social media that gets like shared around all the groups that becomes a massive gamified experience Something like that, I think, would work. And it, it's, you know, it's not financialized. It, I think it would be completely free. But that's one that's one way to mass adoption that I think that it could take. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I see this idea of a passport where, and it can be built into some of the rails that we've seen on the Web2 side, right? Like if you're starting to build uh, NFTs and collectibles within your where you're doing your listening and you can have this almost like, I, I mean, honestly, my hope is that wallets become super apps. But before we get there, this idea of, okay, wherever you're listening is also where you're able to experience purchasing tickets. You're able to watch yeah. like your entire journey. Whether that happens, the consumption happens on traditional Web2 rails or it happens at something like a medallion. I do think that it is 
rewarding fans for things that they're already doing and giving them more ownership over actions that they're already taking. So not making them jump through hoops in order to recognize that benefit and like have to have a recovery phrase and, and, you know, worry, worry about being fished and everything like that. And it's much more of just like it lives on crypto rails so that they can truly own it. But everything is just in a, in a UI that they're, that they know and um, understand. So one one more. I want you to chat through Ziggy Ziggy Music, um, something that you recently launched your newsletter and and all around like Web three discovery home. What is it? Where can people find it? Where can people find you? And then I'm going to ask you for your one big idea. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Ziggy Ziggy Music is basically started out as um, as just a newsletter, um, a place where I can cover all of the stories and artists that I can't always bring to billboard. You know, there's so much that I want to be able to cover that for billboard to cover something, it needs to have some kind of mainstream crossover. There needs to be some kind of big change in trend or like something that can, that taps into the legacy media, uh, legacy music industry. Um, which means I can't always cover like, you know, Rio Cragen's next drop or, you know, whatever cool thing is like happening uh, on Zora or something like that. So I needed a place to cover those stories, tell those stories. Um, but then it kind of evolved because I realized that we, I think for the Web3 space to grow, we also need curation. And, you know, I've collected a lot of music NFTs, but don't really kind of show them off or tell the stories of the, the artists. So we launched a, a Ziggy Ziggy Music Twitter feed which basically every single day we post uh, a video of, of an artist from our collection or a video of an artist that is dropping this week. Uh, and the idea of that is to literally bring the music into your social media feed, because at the moment, that's the reason why, you know, art and PFPs spread so quickly was because you instantly saw it in your social media feed. You've got a doodles, like it's your, it's your PFP. So you see it immediately, but with, with web three music, it's always a click away. Like it's always, you have to go to sound to listen to it. You have to go to catalog to listen to it. So the, the idea is to bring that music into your feed. So you start discovering the music a bit faster with links to collect. Um, so you're, you're discovering the music in your social feed. You're straight away going from the link to then collect it. Um, and over time, the, the concept is that that will become quite curated. Yeah. Um, almost like blog culture where you'll come to Ziggy Ziggy knowing that we have a particular vibe. And my hope is that lots of other them, lots of others pop up and some, you know, others are doing it like noise. Dow are doing uh, their own editorial now. Um, like I want to be able to go somewhere and know that I can find like the best hip hop music in web three, or I can go and find the best like rock music in, in web three. And that will come in different groups. We, we, it won't just be like one person covering everything. Like we'll see different curators like pop up. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the plan of, of where to take it. And then at the same time, we'll be doing a bit more like hands-on like artist development, bringing more artists into Web3, curating them. Um, so it, it's kind of started off as a very broad editorial thing and it will become more curated, I think. That's really exciting. And I, the analog I see besides like to NFT PFPs is also kind of TikTok and not in the way of just like an algorithm feeding you music. But if you think about how things 
spread, how things become viral and how discovery of music has changed to your point of like having your feed. It's the same way as on TikTok, like having a song in your feed that you see and you're like, oh, I want to, that's like an earworm. I want to go check that out. So getting it in front of people on the platforms that they're already interacting with is, is brilliant. Um, and yeah. definitely everyone should go check that out. I'll make sure that it's in, in the show notes, uh, Ziggy Ziggy music. All right. The time has come. We're at the end of the interview, Ben, this has been an amazing, amazing time. We're going to have to have you on again, but before I let you go, what is your one big idea? Uh, for those in the audience, if you've been listening, you know, every time I ask the, uh, person who comes on to leave us with like one big thing they're thinking about a theme from the from the pod uh any anything that they want to leave the audience with so ben i will give you the floor uh yeah i think the only thing that comes to mind is just um positivity is like my is the one big idea like i just the one thing that's worked for me my whole life is surrounding yourself by people who have, are really positive um like that just gives you so much energy all the time. And that's the kind of people you want around you. That's kind of, that's the kind of thing that you want to be pursuing. Um, so yeah, it's kind of cheesy, but that's like, that's the only thing that's ever worked for me. I live by it as well. I, yeah, I'll leave it with that. Ben, this has been incredible again. Thank you. Where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm at music, Ben underscore ETH at musicben underscore eth thanks again ben appreciate it and for everyone in the audience we will catch you guys next week peace appreciate it thanks so much for having me